Support for Elwood City Limits is brought to you by Facebook. Facebook.com slash Elwood City Limits. Twitter. At ECL Podcast. Tumblr. ElwoodCityLimits.tumblr.com. And Gmail. ElwoodCityLimits at gmail.com. And from listeners like you. Thank you. And my free time. Got to get that in there. The spookiest time of the year. Uh, look, look at, oh no, Lucas is here no more. Oh no, the, the ghost of Lucas. Oh no, it's Bukis Mancini. Oh. What's that in your mailbox? Why, you're being audited! Ooh. No! This is terrifying. That frozen, that, that Greek yogurt you bought has gone bad! That's all I had for breakfast this week! No! The street cleaning car is going to drive by on one in the morning. Oh, I hate that. This is the worst Halloween ever. Happy Spooktober, everybody. Happy Halloween. Yeah, there you go. Spooktober. I was waiting for you to to, to drop that. It, seemed, it, seemed, it didn't seem like much of an October without us celebrating the spookiest time of the year here on Elwood City Limits. Uh, my name is Will Young. I'm your still living host and my apparently undead uh, companion is Lucas or Bukis Mancini. I'm, I'm back to life. I don't know what got into me, but um, I'm, I'm back to normal and I'm ready to talk about an episode of Arthur. You must have been uh, you must have been possessed. That must that's have been right. the <laughs> exactly. That's the running theory. That or I haven't been taken by medication. Uh, you watching too much of that Exorcist, I guess. It's uh, getting in your oh, head. Yeah. I. There's like a TV show or something, right, on Netflix? Yeah, I just watched. I just uh, watched the first you, season. I saw you tweeting about it. It's good. It's very good. It, all right, above and below. Is it better or worse than the thri- Friday the Thirteenth episodic series? <laughs> have you Have you seen that? Have you watched any of that? No, uh, no. I just like it's like a punchline, but I hear it's like one of those. Uh, for some reason, every single anthology horror television show is made in Canada. Like, yeah. Are you afraid of the dark? Goosebumps. And I, I, if I am correct, I think the Friday the Thirteenth one is just that, but it's for like teenagers as opposed to kids. Like it's just a Canadian horror anthology TV show. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's it's how they keep scares high and production costs low. <laughs> Um, yeah, it's, yeah, I think, I think you're right on that. I never watched Friday the 13th, the series. I know it has nothing to do with the movies. Uh, I was also rewatching the, the Nightmare on Elm Street documentary, and I forgot there was a, a Nightmare on Elm Street anthology show, Freddy's Nightmares. Ooh, the Scream TV show's really bad. Is it? Oh, oh man. Oh, it's very poor. I've been, I've been kind of curious, because I, because I kind of like those Scream movies. I, I love Scream 1. Um, Screams 2 through 4, I can kind of take or leave, but I'm a big fan of Scream 1. Uh, Scream, the series, has just about nothing to do with it. Well, I guess that's good. It doesn't dra- drag down anything good f- that the movies could be offering, so I guess I guess that's all you can ask for. All right, well, on a slightly less spooky note and on a much uh, higher quality note, we've got an episode of Arthur to talk about, so follow along at home, boys and ghouls, and oh. ha- because this is our last episode before we get into uh, Halloween. Uh, I hope everybody has a happy Halloween coming up this Tuesday. Uh, so this, uh, this, uh, Sorry, before we get into it, this is yeah. going to be my one chance to ask this. Well, mm. uh, are you attending any Halloween get togethers this year? And do you have a costume picked out? No. And no, I'm afraid not. Uh, I don't normally go to Halloween parties because, well, I'm not usually invited to them. And my little niece is, this is her first, uh, it's not her first Halloween, but it's her first one where she'll be able to have a costume. So she's going to dress up like a rhino. Uh, like a rhino, excuse me? 
Yeah, like a like a rhinoceros. Like the rhino? No, like a just just a just a gray one, just a cute little baby rhino. Like like rhino as in she's gonna be like gore gore. No, she's not gonna be pile driving people through tables. She's just gonna no. be look, looking looking cute like she does. You know that would be a pretty good like if you wanted to do a a a, a, a group costume if she's a rhino. And then you could be Babar. That's a little bit of Elwood City continuity for you. Oh, I mean, yeah. They're, they're, they're both gray African mammals. That's right. If I could get that Babar costume together, then she could be little baby Retaxus. Oh, I, I was wondering if there was a rhino in Babar. There, there is. That, that's like wow. the um, that's like the kind of political faction that the elephants what? are kind of. Well, they, I mean, there, there is. There I is really a... know very little about Babar <laughs> is what I'm learning. <laughs> It's it's like there's 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 the kingdom of the elephants and then there's the opposing kingdom of the rhinoceri, oh the rhino gosh. kingdom of the rhinos and the king of the rhinos is uh, Retaxus. My goodness. Okay. You need to, you, you need to watch some Babar, my guy. I, I guess so. We're gonna have a <laughs> Babar podcast one of these days. Maybe. Anyway. Maybe. What what about you? Do you have a Halloween costume? Oh yeah, I am. I'm gonna be Parappa the Rapper. I've been talking about this for like a whole year. Oh yeah, that's I, right. I had this idea super early in the year, but I'm gonna be Parappa the Rapper. Kick punch. It's all in the mind. If you try to test me, I think you'll find. Um, so I'm very excited for that uh, because I've been like John Cena two years in a row just because I got the costume. Uh, so I'm excited to go as something else for once. Your John Cena costume is really good, but I cannot wait to see Parappa the Rapper. That's awesome. I'm just gonna be like quoting all night, like, oh, how does the the driving lesson one go? Where he's like, step on the gas, gas, step gas, on, gas. Step on the brake, 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 brake. Something like that. Yeah, I didn't get that. Boy. I didn't. I did not get that far in Parappa the Rapper. It is a very Isn't that level game. like two. I think it's like level two. So it's time to get right into uh, the episode at large. This was one that I again wasn't sure about from the name, but it, almost as soon as it started. I, I connected the dots in this one. It's DW's name game. This is as DW an episode as Arthur gets, so much so, in fact, that she does the cold open. Yeah, and has this happened before? Like, I, I feel like every time someone other than Arthur is involved in the open, I always ask this question. I'm like, is this the first time it hasn't been Arthur? And I know I've asked that before, so I know she's not the first non-Arthur to uh, uh, introduce an episode. But is this the first time DW's done it proper? I think so. I think this is the first one where she has been uh, at the center of attention. A couple of episodes ago, it was Francine who did it, but this is the first DW-centric uh, cold open. The first of uh, the, uh, first of several, I believe. I, I don't think this is an isolated incident. So from her perspective, uh, she's pouring cereal at the breakfast table and gets a moment to herself and alone with us, the audience, so she can talk about how horrible Arthur is as... You know, the the meanest big brother in the world. She gets right up to the camera and is talking about the times that Arthur was just the worst. In fact, it's so bad that Arthur gets, like, the bully music that the tough customers get. That, like, that like grunge riff. The da-na-na. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the real tough boy music. So time, times include Arthur uh, riding his bike too fast so that DW can't keep up. Uh, we get the first of at least one Arthur meme alert here with uh, Arthur eating a whole personal cake. And it's the, it's the screen grab of him, like, shoving the whole cake into his mouth in one gulp. Uh, I... It's a running theme in these. Whenever we see Arthur from DW's perspective, uh, he's always painted in this light where he's just kind of a non, um, an eating machine, and that's pretty much the only characteristic she attributes to him. Yeah, and especially it's especially cake. Cake seems to be his weakness. Mm. And uh, he also uh, uh, is just kind of generally quote-unquote being mean to her there's a little thing here like some of these seem a little exaggerated like i have a hard time believing you know arthur necked a whole cake but there is this one thing where like he gets after dw for being in his room without his permission and he hangs up a sign on his door that says arthur's room dw not allowed mary moo cow is a bad show yeah he had to get that last almost unnecessary burn in there 
to make sure she knew what was what. And that's the first of many burns to follow in this episode. Also, quick note, Arthur Meme Alert. Uh, I've seen this sequence posted uh, on Twitter a bunch of times, usually with the subtitles of DW saying, that sign can't stop me because I can't read. <laughs> it's really, it is a really good point of like, Arthur, Arthur's gesture is ultimately lost on DW. And, uh, and finally, he takes too much milk for himself, so there's none left for DW to put in her cereal. And she's determined to get back at him. Uh, I will mention this here. This is incredibly nerdy. Like, I wa when I was a kid, I watched Arthur to the point where, like, I had my favorite directors and storyboard artists. So in the title card, it'll say, like, who directed the episode and who was the storyboard artist. And it just brought me back to when I used to pay attention to that. So, or excuse me, uh, the writer of the episode. So this episode written by Joe Fallon and storyboard by Robert Yap. And in my head, I was like, oh, man, that's the dream team, the Arthur dream team. Those guys are like, that's like my, my favorite writer and favorite storyboard artist. Like, I always associated them with like my favorite episodes and the ones that were, had the best animation. So a really nerdy aside there, even as a kid, I was paying attention to who was making the episodes that I liked. You know, I've actually, and I've never really gotten to it, but I've wanted to keep a closer, uh, basically make sure I notice who's been writing each episode because we always kind of talk about the writers and this like very cerebral, like, Oh, the writers decided to do this. But I've been interested in, like, if you were to take a closer look at who wrote what episode and how much there's a consistency with the voice, like, oh, like, these three episodes were written by this person, and you can kind of see the uh, uh, the narrative similarities throughout. So I didn't know that you had always noticed that much about uh, who was creating what episode. I'll have to look to you more when I'm asking about the writers and stuff like that. It'd be worth looking back through if you if uh, if you went and uh, listened to our episode on like our favorite uh, episodes from season one, then mm. you could be like, hmm, I wonder who wrote these, and I and I wonder who you know. Sometimes we mention how the animation looks in episode, and just like, oh, who was the storyboard artist for this episode? Uh, so worth doing if you have a little bit of extra time. Uh, so DW is trying to figure out a way to get back at Arthur, and she goes to her, her to her friends, the Tibbles. And they both have different ideas of what she can do. So I believe it's Tommy has uh, has has an idea that really is it's, uh, really more of a long con. It's almost like a like a, it's almost it's it's like a it's like a real revenge plot that takes years to fester and then come into fruition. Uh, I love DW's logic on asking the Tibbles for help. She says, "I figure you guys know how to deal with brothers. You both have one." I mean, she ain't wrong, and it's a, it's hey, it's it's a place to start. And I feel like if you're gonna get some advice on some shady stuff, the Tibbles are your your go-to guys. Uh, so Tommy's whole thing involves Arthur growing up and becoming an accomplished concert pianist, like to the point of like he's like the equivalent of he he's he's like the Yo-Yo Ma of uh, concert mm -hmm. pianists. He's like getting out of a limo. He's got like a long scarf on. And uh, somebody even in the crowd, like, has their piano strapped to his back. And he's like, Arthur, sign my piano. The This whole plan hinges on that. This will be what Arthur grows up to be. Uh, and DW at first thinks that she won't show up. But no, it's in fact, she will show up late. She will noisily kind of. Uh, excuse me, pardon me herself over to her seat. And then when she sits down, she will just go ham on some potato chips to the point where it distracts Arthur. Yeah, this plan, uh, while ingenious, uh, is predicated a bunch of uh, predicated upon a bunch of like happenstance that aren't exactly sure bets. So while good in theory, it really is, like you said before, a long con. It's it, it's kind of like appropriate for Halloween. It's kind of like a jigsaw scheme of like it supposes a lot sure. of it supposes a, a lot of people's behavior. I would like to play a game. <laughs> Arthur. Arthur, on your right you see a slice of cake. <laughs> you have to eat the whole thing. There's a key inside. You and have you gotta swallow the key and then you got to cut it out and you have spent your years being mean to your sister, and now it is time for you to collect on the words you've said. Yeah, 
he's like in a room and it's just like playing Crazy Bus over and over again. Cake or Cake or Crazy Bus. Cake or die. Make your choice. I'm gonna see Jigsaw when it comes out yeah. this week. Oh my god, it's coming out this week. I'm so excited. Really? Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. No, I'm, oh, I'm, 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 I'm a bad person. <laughs> So uh, yeah, that's that's Tommy's idea, and it's really it's really a long way for an incredibly petty uh, way of getting back back at him. And like to say nothing of the fact that if DW were doing this at a at a piano concert, she would be kicked out. I'm I'm almost certain. And Timmy's idea is well. I mean, they're both bad, but in their own ways. Uh, Timmy suggests that DW gains secret hypnotic powers, and she uh, hypnotizes Arthur into doing her bidding. And like he gets the uh, like the the hypnotized eyes of like the red spiral in in his yeah. glasses, and he gets like the "Am I making you happy, my queen?" Like he just kind of sounds like a zombie. Yeah, they dominated him like an orc in Shadow of Mordor too. <laughs> DW puts her hand up to his face and is like, yeah. "Open your mind." <laughs> and uh, <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, of course, Tom uh, Tommy says that's a dumb idea because it takes hundreds of years to learn about hypnotize Ising. And uh, then they kind of DW says it's a bad plan. Timmy calls her DW Dimwit, which I don't think is one that we've heard so far, but is you know pretty. Uh, a standard, it seems like she doesn't seem very phased by it. And then she says, and then she says, "Don't call me names, Goopy." So she calls Timmy Goopy, and Tommy laughs at him. But then Timmy's like, "You look just like me, so that means you're Goopy too." And <laughs> and Tommy gets this look on his face like he just discovered the end of the universe. He's like, <laughs> like he oh, like no. he sees he's everything. Crush. Yeah, exactly. Um, you can tell what's going on here is that like. Whenever a show does something like this, where a character has to insult another character, specifically kids' shows, it's a slippery slope because they always have to pick something innocuous enough because evidently kids are going to repeat it, right? So you yes. always want to make sure that when a character insults another character, it's not too bad. Goopy, like if your child's running around calling people goopy, that's not like that's not really an insult. It's just kind of nonsense. Um, but I wonder, like, how long, like, how many things they. Like, what would DW call the Tibble Twins? And eventually, by the end of the whiteboard, they landed on Goopy. Okay, I guess Goopy is just innocuous enough that that's okay for her to say. But they probably went through a whole cavalcade of insults. Yeah, probably. And like, it, and in real life, sometimes kids these kids even at DW's age can know some words that they shouldn't be telling other people. And eventually, like the the Tibbles admit that DW is so good at name calling, the solution is just to call Arthur names. So you know, it's not it's not elegant, but it uh, might be able to get the job done. In fact, I guess this it, is as good of time as any to bring up. Uh, this episode reminded me of a, a real life incident. Um, well, for one, so this episode's basically all about name-calling. Like, get used to this battle rap-style insult hurling, because it's, it's here to stay for the next ten minutes or so. Uh, but this whole episode reminded me of a story a teacher told me once about when they were teaching a preschool class, um, and the kids were calling each other, like, butthead or something, right? And so as an exercise, the teacher was like, okay, let's, like, think of something we can call each other instead of butthead, so it's not, like, so mean. And so they were coming up with, like, a bunch of nonsense things. You know how kids are, like, so probably stuff to the level of goopy. Like, oh, let's call each other goopy. Let's call each other, you know, turquoise kayak, whatever. Um, and then one kid, get ready to bleep this, Will, for the uh, the family-friendly listeners. Uh, one kid goes, what about mother uh, The teacher had to be like, because if you react... The kid's gonna uh, start repeating it, right? Because they got a reaction out of you. So the teacher just goes, "Maybe let's go with a different one." And so just moved on, continued the conversation. But these are like preschool kids. Man, that is that that is that, like I reacted as soon as you said it, and I mean I, I say it plenty of times throughout the week. And uh, but just hearing, I was just like, "Oh no!" So uh, they they did the right thing, and that they did nothing at all. So uh, good job, good job to them. My goodness, the 
the words that some kids know. But then again, that's how it spreads, I suppose. That's how I learned my first bad word was from uh, from school. Uh, yeah, so pretty much, like, the Reed House basically becomes Showtime at the Apollo at this point. Because uh, Arthur and DW are just hurling insults at each other. Like, she starts off with Mr. Goopy. DW, Arthur's like, get your big, enormous, large, gopher-looking head out of my face. Yeah, they all start, like, they're basically, like, doing your mama jokes from the start of a Biz Marquis song. Like, especially <laughs> especially when Arthur's like, you big, enormous, large, gopher-looking head. Like, uh, he says she's her head looks like a big meatloaf with raisins. Like, it's very, like, 1980s rap insults, which I guess had just kind of an earnestness and an innocence to them. Uh, a timelessness, if you will. By the way, uh, that another Arthur meme alert for you. When he says uh, her head looks like a big meatloaf with raisins, that's Arthur doing the double point. And I've definitely seen people like putting much saltier insults into that uh, into that certain cap into that certain picture. So uh, I thought that was funny. We're really racking up the memes in this episode. Still, they're still like going at it, and I was I was like surprised. A lot of their dialogue here is just insults back and forth. Uh, Catherine is babysitting them them that night as mom and dad prepare to go out, and she uh, decides to cordon them off to opposite sides of the house. And I loved I love the cut here. It's just like Catherine's just like go to opposite ends. Like DW goes to her room, Arthur goes back to the den, and then the scene just cuts and they are screaming at each other in DW's room. I'm like, well, what happened here? <laughs> it all well, but yeah, we kind of join the argument in medias res. Uh, we get a quick explanation. Arthur said D.W. stole his red crayon, uh, but D.W. had a good reason because it's a castle coloring book, and it's a lot of bricks. Yeah, so she needs that red one uh, to keep it going. And, you know, fair enough. Uh, Arthur Arthur does get his crayon back, though. And uh, so D.W. is still determined to keep insulting him, but she can't think of another word uh, for boring. And this is where we get a little bit of a sub thing here where Catherine's doing her homework. DW asks her like another word for boring. And then Catherine introduces her to the idea or not the idea to what a thesaurus is, which is, you know, a, a dictionary like book where you can find different meanings to words. Or, it's kind of uh, like the website thesaurus.com if it was a <laughs> It was a book. They, and this is, again, like we, I, I've talked about this many times of like how Arthur has taught me uh, words I didn't know before. There are a lot of mm, ah, choice words here in this episode, thanks to the thesaurus as part of the uh, of as part of the plot line. So I'll just go th- I'll just go through a c- couple of them real quick, because essentially there's like a two minute sequence of them going to Catherine, finding out new words and then using them on each other. So there's like tedious DW says Arthur's stomach is distended from eating too much cake. He is adipose and corpulent. Arthur calls DW vapid, and DW comes back by calling him heinous and atrocious. There's so much beefing in this episode. You'd think like it was like Joe Budden, uh, who was <laughs> arguing with DW, not Arthur. Yo, I can't vi- I can't vibe with this. DW is just uh, I, <laughs> why, I don't like this. Uh, why are we uh, talking I, about DW? Every time I come in here, you guys want to talk about DW. I don't want to talk about DW anymore. I want to talk about <laughs> lyricism. Not these dumb young kids like DW. DW and Lil Peep, Lil Pump. That was good. I like that a lot. Um, yeah, I'd say DW gets the better of this if we're ranking this on, like, you know, uh, bar for bar. bar DW's got... <laughs> That's right, we're gonna like do a genius uh a rap genius video where they like rank the hmm. bars. How many did DW get out of five? And I would tend to agree with you. I think DW, uh especially for someone not as uh knowledgeable as DW, as she says herself, she can't even read, uh, she comes off with the better burns. Big time. And like and, and in, in terms of just sheer quantity, Arthur's just got vapid, but she's got like all of the other words. She's really she's in she's into this. Uh and then Finally, like Arthur does call her, uh, calls her DW Dimwit, to which DW's like, Timmy Tibble came up with that, and he's my age, so you lose. And Arthur realizes the the uh, the kill switch for this argument is to use the one word that she hates, Dora Winifred, 
and then he chases her around the house yelling Dora Winifred, which is her full name at her. It's a, it reminds me a little bit of Dune. DW is like Muad'Dib. Her true name is like a killing word. Arthur's like crazy arched eyebrows as he like is excitedly like screaming Dora Winifred, Dora Winifred. And his like eyebrows are almost vertical. Like that's how much they're giving Arthur the evil eyes. He does get like a sick joy from uh, calling her Dora Winifred, and like is eventually DW is like begging for mercy, and Catherine takes her to bed, and Arthur looks at the camera and he does like a <laughs> like a real villain laugh, so he's relishing his role as a heel. Uh, so yeah, DW goes to bed. She's again like she goes to bed with the idea that she will get back at Arthur somehow, and that's what informs what is basically the rest of the episode. And it's DW's dream. Uh, this uh, this really goes places. Yeah, it's it's weird because this episode almost doesn't follow a three act structure. It's kind of pre DW dream, and then like the re- the episode is basically one third reality and them just insulting each other with big words, and then two thirds uh, DW's stream of consciousness dream world uh, where anything is possible. At Flying Rhino Junior High. Uh, yeah, so DW's dream starts off with her in paradise, essentially. Like, she's in this, like, wooded meadow with all the trees and flowers dancing with pleasant music. Very Disney-esque. But then Arthur shows up. He's riding a cloud like he's Son Goku, but he's got a wizard hat on. And he ruins everything by continually saying, like, he says Dora Winifred, but he's also got a bit of the witch voice. So he's like, Dora Winifred! Dora Winifred! And it comes out as, like, um, ABC magnets that you would put on the fridge. Uh, I was trying to figure out the way to, like, describe the giant block letters that, like, fly out. But they are, like, the colors, they're the primary colors of, like, an ABC magnet, but just giant. And they cause, it's, he's causing both emotional harm and physical harm. Yes, he eventually d- ends up destroying paradise, which, I mean, if you looked far enough into this, you could read something biblical into it. I choose not to, but hey, if you want to, ElwoodCityLimits at gmail.com. Uh, and DW runs away crying, and she's intercepted by uh, her friend, Walter Deer. That's right. I, always, return I like the idea of, Walter Deer. of uh, um, basically DW's getting this extended cast of imaginary characters. Uh, in addition to Nadine, now we have Walter, who's shown up on two occasions now as DW's imaginary friend. And it's just like a fun little piece of continuity that, again, breathes more life into the Arthur world. And, I mean, hey, we've seen Walter Deer at this point more times than we've seen Toadie, her quote-unquote pet. So, you know, imaginary though he may be, he seems to be more real than that stupid frog. Oh, listen. I'm I'm on the to- to- Toady Defense Squad. I almost called him Toby. The Toady Defense Squad till I die. Hashtag save Toady. D- Hashtag free Toady. I, to- I totally forgot that you- I totally forgot Toad. that you were that you were on his bandwagon. Right. Uh yeah yeah. So Walter comes to her rescue. This weird gag that they do of like Walter gives her a uh, like a hanky. And she blows her nose, and it's like a 30-second gag where it cuts to Walter, and he's, like, checking his watch and, like, waiting for her to be done. Yeah, this was it's, funny. It just seemed a, little, it seemed a little out of place. It was almost like a Simpsons joke or something. I, like, it, you're right. It's not something they usually do, just, like, a visual gag. Uh, it's uh, Now that I think about it, usually the jokes at Arthur are either in their writing or, like, someone reacting to something. It's not often they do this, like, this is, like, just straight up, like, an SNL joke or something. I'm just, like, she's crying, and well, Walter's like, okay. Well, this is remind, reminds me of uh, an episode of Freakazoid, where, like, Freakazoid's, uh, like, dr- like, drinking juice, and then, like, all of a sudden he gets surprised, and there's, like, a solid 50 seconds of him spitting out the juice. It's just a very, very off-the-wall thing for Arthur, which is normally pretty structured in its humor. Not that it's a bad thing. It's just I did not expect it. Uh, so she has to go see the the. Oh man, how do you say this? She has to go see the the Saurus, and uh, so that she can uh, find a word to call Arthur. Essentially, uh, Walter shows her a picture of where the 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 Saurus lives because she keeps calling him the Saurus. 
and we get to why in a little bit. Uh, he shows her a picture of the library, and she just kind of jumps into it, Mario 64 style, and just like, you didn't expect me to walk all the way through the woods. That'd be so boring. <laughs> so she really cuts to the good stuff for uh, the better of all of us. You say Mario uh, 64, team- I say it's kind of like Comic Zone on the Genesis, where she's hopping between panels. Ooh, I like that better. Uh, Timmy and Tommy are outside of the library. They've been turned into stone lions by by Arthur. Oh, so uh, I feel like I've been to this library in real life, the one with the stone lion statues. Is it the New York Public Library? I don't remember. It's like a famous library that they're parroting here with like the lion sitting in front of it. Uh, I can't quite um, remember which one it is, though. Right in. I don't think I knew... Yeah, please. I don't think I, I don't think I know what which one that is. Uh, so uh, Arthur does find out where she is and goes to uh, turn her to stone or whatever, what have you. She goes into the library. Uh, we get a little thing here where Miss Turner is showing her to where the thesaurus is, and uh, she goes through all of these large books, like kind of like that cold open that we did earlier this season about uh, the one where Buster hadn't read a book. Except she keeps opening them up, and it's like different stock footage collections. So yeah, it's like it feels like sh- one of those like multimedia CDs, like the encyclopedia on CD, where like yeah, and like like in Carta. I'm I'm not familiar, but I'll take your word for it. Is that like you click the link and it's like, oh, here's some stock footage of like the atomic bomb going off. Yes, absolutely. And Carta was a CD-ROM encyclopedia that you could get that uh, Microsoft put out in the 90s. I'll tell you what, I was not expecting to see Fidel Castro in an episode of Arthur. (laughs) Uh, That took me by surprise. Nor necessarily the Reverend uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. I mean, I would be... I would more expect to see MLK than I would Fidel, but uh, <laughs> it's all history. It's all interesting. That's a great point. Uh, yeah, she and she goes through, like, so it's like history, science and technology, and nature, and, and then she kind of ends it like with, like, wow, I didn't know all this stuff was in the library. So it's like, ah, more of Arthur pushing its pro-library agenda. This is just kind of Which, a, a quick ad for libraries now that I think about it. It's not really important to the plot, but it is fun. Anytime we see FMV and Arthur, it's like a fun little surprise. FMV. Uh, and, the, and so finally, DW, DW finds the Saurus, as she calls it. But it's but he says it's one word, the Saurus. The, the Saurus. And it's like a giant, uh, it's, it, it's a T-Rex, but it, also, but it has like a graduation cap, glasses, and like a pointer. So it kind of looks like a stereotypical academic, essentially. Uh, Play on so words she's as for... in like Tyrannosaurus, Thesaurus. It, it yeah, makes it's, sense it's... as like a, why a little kid would have interpreted a Thesaurus like as a dinosaur because besides Thesaurus, there's pretty much the only things that end with Saurus are dinosaurs. Yeah, it's pretty clever. I I, I think it's I think it's pretty good for kids. Uh, so she's looking for the perfect name to call Arthur and and the Thesaurus. I can't wait to stop saying that. Uh, it asks her to think of three different words for goofy, to which she says silly, foolish, and Arthur, which he accepts as correct. And then he whispers in her ear the word to call Arthur, but we never hear what it is. So it's like the ending of Lost in Translation. Whatever she says to Arthur, I bet it's just right. So, so whatever it is that the thesaurus gives her... Uh, okay, <laughs> that should be the last time. Uh, she goes outside to tell Arthur, who is eating... A slice of cake on his cloud, true to form. So she whispers it into his ear, and then he backs away and screams, and then he just melts. I remember when I was a kid and I saw this episode for the first time, that was kind of distressing. Like, he just kind of melts into a puddle of his clothes and his skin, and then DW gets really upset because she didn't mean to make him melt, and she collects him in this uh, this Mary Moo Cow mug that she was drinking out of earlier. This is the most Arthur disturbing just- part. Him melting is disturbing enough. You get some, like, end of The Last Crusade vibes. Uh, or not The Last Crusade. Uh, uh, what am I talking about? Raiders of the Lost Raider. Ark. You get the end of yeah. Raiders vibes. But then, when she looks into the Mary Moo Cow mug, and it's like a little Arthur, Arthur face in the liquid, and he's like, he like sounds like he's having his last breath, and he's like, you shouldn't call people names. It's bad for their health. That is very disturbing. It is, and then it's immediately followed up with, like, DW panicking. She's just like, what do I do? What do I do? Somebody help me! And that's how the dream ends. I'm like, oh, my 
gosh, that's terrifying. Like it, it is, it is really uh, unnecessarily intense. So DW wakes up and she's been very shaken by this dream, and she calls out Arthur's name, and he comes into the room. And I thought this was, this was really cute. Uh, DW just runs up to him, is just like, "I'm sorry, I called you names." And Arthur wants to be mad at her. He's just like, "Well, you called me." I mean, I'm sorry too. So they just kind of make up and all's well. And this is pretty much the end of the episode. We do a little bit of a parody of the end of the Wizard of Oz where DW's like, I had this dream and you were in it and you were in it and you were in it too. And then all of a sudden, outside of DW's window, okay, last time, the thesaurus shows up and he goes, oh, sheesh. And DW kind of gasps and that's the end of the episode. <laughs> so I guess it was real. <laughs> Or it's she's like, still dreaming? It's, it's classic, like, you want to talk about just a time for Spooktober. Classic end of the horror movie swerve. It's like that Friday the 13th remake where, like, they're like, oh, Freddy's gone. And then the girl looks in the mirror and, like, Freddy comes out. It's like, credits, smash, credits, new metal. That's the end. Like, um, <laughs> there's another yeah, it's, fun, it, it, fun editing exercise for someone more uh, creative than me is, like, and you were in it too. And he's like, hey guys. And then she's like, <gasps> and then credits, new metal. Yeah. It's just like, oh, sheesh. <gasps> Let the body Let sit the, the yeah, so it's a, uh, a little bit of that magic real realism coming back. So was it real? Was it a dream? We'll never know. And now a word from us kids. <laughs> I was waiting for this one. I was thinking of like, I wonder when we're going to get to this one. And we finally did. So this is all about, you know, not calling people names. And the kids had this idea to create this song. It's it's not really a song. It's more of just a rhyme. But they kind of sing it. And it will get stuck in your head if you listen to it. It's like, na 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 And then they go around to each kid. And they all have a different... Um, kind of face made out of cardboard that's on like a stick and they put it in front of their face and it's like uh, a different thing. So it's stuff like football head, fish head, basketball head, it's pizza head. head. It's like if the kids were Mega Man bosses, but instead of man, it's head. Um, two questions. One, do you think this predates uh, Hey Arnold? Hey football head. Oh, because, because football head – um, this is probably around the same time. This, uh, this, I think we're still in 1998. So I feel like Hey Arnold was either just about to hit Nickelodeon or was on at the same time. So, uh, it certainly would have been pretty close. Secondly, uh, the best at burning these kids, uh, with insults are the two girls. They're not the ones with yes. the football heads, but they're the second ones. Like they just yes. go way off script and they're like... You can tell, like, it almost sounds like they're just about to swear. Like, they're just like, you stupid ass, like, look at you with your dumb ass. Like, they just, like, are laying into this poor kid. Yeah, I feel like I, I absolutely agree with you. It seemed like if you let them go, they could really tear you down. And I was like, man, in a few years, they're going to be untouchable, those two little girls. Uh, th- my favorite line from this whole thing is, like, so every different head gets its own little vignette where it's like, hey, don't call me names. That hurts my feelings. Yeah. And uh, the one the one with the girl with Pizza Head, you know, oh, yeah, two yeah, boys yeah. are calling She's her. She's apparently a big fan of David Lynch's work because she's <laughs> seen The Elephant Man. Yeah, she's like, I am not a Pizza Head. I'm a human being. <laughs> <laughs> Good call, though, with The Elephant Man. Uh, yeah, I thought, I thought this was pretty cute. I liked the uh, different designs of the... Uh, of the head uh, banners. So I thought this was uh, this was kind of fun and certainly memorable because I was, uh, again, waiting for it uh, to strike. I just was not really sure where it would show up on our timeline. And now, back to Arthur! All right, uh, let's get to the next story. This is Finder's Keepers, which is a lot easier to remember because, of course, they isolate the word key in the title. So I was like, ah, it's this one. Uh, this, uh, this cold open was a little strange and I was wondering what kind of tone they were trying to set with it. Uh, so it starts with Arthur in a really suspicious kind of tone because he's like, sharing is a good thing and like making it obvious that he's kind of doing something a little sus. And, uh, he's talking about how like he shares things with other people. Arthur is kind of sus in general is what I'm learning. (laughs) <laughs> Especially the, the episode we're talking about this week, like all in all, Arthur's 
Arthur is a little sus. Uh, yeah, especially here, because what we find out is that, like, Arthur's talking about sharing because he is going into DW's room and essentially, like, stealing her jelly, like, her from her bowl of jelly beans. So, and then DW catches him and Arthur gets in trouble uh, for stealing DW's candy. And Mom says, you know you're not supposed to take your sister's things. And Arthur says, but Mom, I was sharing. And he, but and he like, looks at the camera he, and he's just gives a, a thumbs he's up. just like basically a few moments away from basically give, like uh, blinking his eyelashes at her. Like the way he says it, he's like, I was sharing. He really lays it on thick. and it's and but I, But I wasn't sure like... Because he's like, I was sharing, and I'm like, no, you weren't. You just were, you were taking that stuff. You didn't have any intention of sharing it. So I didn't really. the The tone of this was all wacky from really from the start. Uh, so the actual episode has to do with them. Uh, so it's Arthur and his friends. They're playing baseball in what is a really dusty field. Like they keep on kicking up clouds of dust, and it's like both incredibly distracting and, well, really unhygienic as well. That'll be and, important later. I'll also say, and I know we've heard this song before, it's just one of those stock, like, things are happening themes, but I guess it being combi- combined with this baseball game really made me realize how much this music does kind of sound like the music from Mario Baseball, complete with, like, the saxophone arrangements. I don't know if they're, like, a synthesized saxophone or if it's an actual recording of, like, saxophones, but I just, like, the music during this baseball game, is I'm way into it. Yeah, I like it, too. It's very snappy. It's very jazzy, and... uh uh, you're right. It's I'm like I'm thinking of the saxophone now. It's very very soothing. I want to. I would. I would probably guess that they are. Uh, you know, r- the actual saxophone instruments. I think I would be able to tell the difference. Although, I'm sure I might be surprised. Uh, so they decide to give up on the baseball because it is just too dusty out there. Uh, and Muffy invites everybody over to watch her high D TV. I have so many questions about this. First of all, what is this, 1994? 96? <laughs> like, do they have... This is 90, H- 98. Oh, 98? Yeah, I don't think HDTV existed, right? Like, uh, is, do they mean high definition? Like, I think it, so. I I want to say, like, like HDTV, maybe if you had, like, $1,200, you could buy one uh, at this time. But I want to say, like... The advent of the HDTV was until like 2002, right? Uh, I could be way off base here, but like, what would you even watch on HDTV? Nothing was being broadcast in high definition in 1998. Okay. There's so many questions. Okay, I'm taking this from uh, uh, the Wikipedia entry for high definition television. HDTV technology was introduced in the U.S. in the late 1980s, made official in 1993. HDTV system had its public launch on October 29, 1998, during the live coverage of astronaut John Glenn's return mission to, uh, to space on board the Space Shuttle Discovery. So, same year. Um, oh, my gosh. Do, do you know, um, Buffy must have spent so much money on that TV. I can only imagine. Oh, man. That's like if I was to buy one of those... 8K, not even 4K, but like 8K TVs right now. Have to remortgage a house or something. Pretty much. Uh, now let me see if, if Google. How I'm just gonna ask it. How much? How much was the first HD How much was the first HD TV? Uh, it, okay. Let me see here. Um, I the well the first one says is a uh, New York Times article from HD from 1998 HD TV high in price uh, high definition high in price uh, between four thousand and five thousand dollars. That's not even that crazy though. Like I was expecting it to be way more. But do, but keep in mind that is in 1998 money, so it would be even more Ooh, by now. That's true. Listeners, if you want to, if you want to look up the full the full price of what a 1998 HDTV would cost today, please let us know. I'm sure the answer will be baffling. Anyway, Muffy invites them over to watch Heidi TV and the show Miranda the Magic Princess, but Arthur, Binky, and uh, Brain uh, decide to go to the Sugar Bowl instead, and that's the trio that we kind of deal with for this episode. Uh, as they're kind of tossing the baseball back and forth on their way to the Sugar Bowl, uh, they run across a small silver key uh, in the field, and they are their their minds kind of go wild as to what it could be too. 
and they all kind of share their theories. So Brain's theory is that it could be to the new science museum where Brain imag- imagines that he goes exploring. So it has like, in his mind, it has like a dinosaur exhibit of like dinosaur models and a virtual reality simulation where he can walk with dinosaurs. Brain's ahead of that VR curve. Uh, Arthur, however, believes it's, it is the key to the city. And this one is somehow the biggest leap in logic. So Arthur believes that if the key to the city was lost, like, you know, uh, you know, a lot of townships have their own, like, symbolic key to the city. Oh, man. But Arthur sees it as, like, a literal key that keeps things running. And if it was lost, everyone in the town freezes in place. Ex- you should add, like... The, the, that Radiohead song to this sequence just to make it look like the opening to Vanilla Sky. Like, Arthur running around this city where everyone's frozen. It just doesn't make much sense. It's fun, though. It, it's, like, a very creative idea. No, and, like, I mean, it is a creative idea, but there are a lot of questions that I was wondering about. Like, he runs across a pond of ducks, and they're not frozen. They're, like, frozen in place, but they're still, like, flapping. They're also, like traffic jams but people are still honking their horns but then there are some people who are frozen except for arthur who just isn't and the mayor isn't frozen as well he goes to visit elwood city's mayor who to and we note here that his name is mayor hirsch arthur calls him mayor hirsch and arthur returns the key to the city he gets a parade and he saves the day like he gets his name on the front page of the paper uh, but Binky notes that this is actually probably this is definitely the uh, most likely of the three. Uh, he says it's got teeth on both sides, so it's probably a car key. And Binky, uh, uh, channeling a little bit of Drew Scanlon here, he imagines himself driving to school in a Formula One car. <laughs> Props to Binky for noticing that a key with teeth on both sides is a car key. I don't think I've ever realized that until this moment. Made me feel super dumb. Yeah, me too. It was a, it was a great observation, and I've seen this episode a bunch of times. Uh, I just had completely forgotten about that. Uh, I will note uh, there w- there is a clip going on around Tumblr. I see it every once in a while, and it's of the French uh, tra- the French uh, version of Arthur. And people would just be like, "Yo, why does Binky sound like an old man in French?" And it's the clip of him saying that it's a car key. I'll have to look for it, and uh, I'll reblog it on Tumblr this week if I uh, find it in my likes. I'm sure it's in there. Uh, yeah, so Binky thinks B- Binky drives the Formula One car to school, and then he like peels out as everybody's like, "Wow, what a car!" And he like leaves him in the dust. Uh, so they're at the Sugar Bowl trying to figure out what it could be to and to who owns it, especially if it's something like a car. Uh, you know, Binky says that you know he's the only one who could drive at this point. So he thinks that he should get it. But Arthur, you know, you know, he found it first. So he thinks they all essentially have a claim to the key, but uh, Arthur decides to, uh, some a little bit more solidified than others. Like really Arthur's got a claim to the key. Like Braid says, cause it's his ball that got lost. He gets it for some reason. And like Vicky's claim is that he came up with the idea of getting a car. Right. You're absolutely right. Arthur does have the most sense because he was the one to find it. But he does, He is also the one who says that they share it 50-50-50, which... Is... Which, again, that is, there's some problematic <laughs> math going on there. It looks like Arthur's operating under Castlevania sympathy, oh, symphony of the night logic. It's it's okay. They're in third grade. We can we can let it go. I it's it's the spirit of the thing that counts. It doesn't sound as good as thirty three point three, thirty three point three, thirty three point three. Uh, so they decide to try ever try all of their ideas, uh, and see which one the key fits, so that they can figure out how exactly they're going to split it. So brain tries it at the museum. It doesn't work. Arthur, uh, get, they all or sorry, all of them go to the mayor, which is actually really nice of the mayor of Elwood City to have an audience with these three third graders who have a question about the key. But he says uh, their their key to the city, which is of course huge and gold and really more symbolic than anything, uh, was returned the other week by a nice boy, and uh, so that means that it's gotta be a co- which again more questions than answers. Like how did that big ass key go missing? <laughs> How did, like, like, I, I, okay, this is a little embarrassing, but Will, I don't really understand the concept of a key to the city. Much like Arthur, I, I get that it's, like, a thing that gets presented to, like, a kid, like, 
oh, you know, I saved this cat from the tree. Now I get the key to the city. Is that what it is? Is that all it's for? It's kind of like an honorific. In fact, uh, once again, back to Wikipedia, the key to the city is an honor bestowed by a city upon esteemed residents and visitors. So like a lot of uh, famous people like who are from a certain township will get a key to the city. I just, it's like, it's so abstract. How could a city have one key? I, I mean, I, I, I can't pretend. I would love to know more, uh, maybe from a, uh, from a, from a very informed emailer, uh, who would, l- who would like to let us know. Of course, I had the key to the city page open, and I'm gonna look it up later. But I don't want to. I'd like to keep the episode going, not just reading Wikipedia entries all day. Uh, so yeah, Binky deduces that means it's got to be a car, which uh, has all three of them pretty excited. But Binky kind of cuts them down, tries to cut them down a little bit by saying that. Uh, he is the he is the oldest among them, so he will be able to drive a year before them, which means the car will be all his. But then Brain and Arthur come back with the fact that since they will all have an ownership to the car and the key, then Binky will have to drive them around. And we get a little bit of a perspective flash forward. Uh, uh, again, just think about that for a second. Because they found this key, they automatically assume if they find the car it's for, they all have an ownership claim. Right. It's uh, it, it's spurious, to say the least. But Binky does kind of think about it for a little bit. We get a, we get a flash forward of uh, B- uh, Binky in basic, basically driving a limo. He assumes it's going to be like a limo, and uh, he's got the chauffeur outfit on. And uh, I guess 15-year-old Brain and Arthur are having the time of their lives. They've got, like, junk food in the back of this limo, and they're just like, let's go through the drive-thru again, Binky. And Binky's kind of getting after them about getting crumbs on the upholstery or what have you and they think that's pretty cool but then binky comes back at them and thinks you know if it's uh if it's to like he imagines it being a key to like a sports car uh which is it's a very 90s sports car it's one of the ones with like the retractable headlights the ones that like go down and then come back up it's like the car from outrun yeah a little bit and uh and the binky imagines them as two guys working at a gas station and then he's like and he's like, <laughs> this must be B- B- Binky's imagination must take pl- place in New Jersey <laughs> where you don't pump your own gas. I was thinking the same thing. I was like, maybe Elwood City's in New Jersey since they have to mm. pump the gas for him. Uh, and so he's like gloating over them of just like, you know, check my oil and then you can spit shine my hubcaps. Uh, so this really gets sets everybody on edge. It's mostly Arthur and Brain against Binky. And then they start getting into a thing of like reclaiming their stuff. So, like, Arthur wants his Bionic Bunny video back. Uh, uh, Brain wants back a CD that he loaned Binky, the clarinet concertos. And then Binky wants his stuff back as well. And the next day they give it back to each other, and they're still kind of angry. Brain says, I hope you're happy, Binky. And Binky just like, oh, I am. It's a great way way to make it look like you don't care. Like, it's it's so cutting. Um. But they eventually, since they're all kind of feeling crabby at each other, they still have to figure out how they're going to determine ownership of the key. Uh, I think so, I think somebody suggests that they uh, that they like sh- share it like two days a week and then like alternate Sundays or something like that. Yeah, who gets the car? Like, it's enough so each of them get it for two days, and then they're trying to figure out who will get it on Sunday. And then Binky realizes that he's a year older than him. So he'll actually have the car for a whole year. Right. So at this point, they're just trying to figure out, like, Brain almost makes off with the key, but then they're just like, they can't trust each other with it. But then Brain gets the idea that they could just leave it in the ground, leave it in, on the ground where they found it, and that's where they'll keep the key, which, and, and he like, how? And then we get this great spaghetti western sequence of them all <laughs> walking away, like, Arthur's like, all right, see you guys. They all start walking away. And then they all slowly start to realize what's going on and turn around and sprint at it into a dust cloud. Yeah, and it's it's very much like if you put uh, if you put uh, the ecstasy of gold underneath it, you could be it's yeah. it's it's straight out from a Morricone movie. And they all dive for it, and brain and brain and Binky get into a little bit of a scuffle. But then Arthur comes up and and has the key, and he even he even drops the title line: "Finders keepers." And they all chase after him. Arthur accidentally bumps into Mr. Morris, uh, another appearance from Mr. Morris. And uh, he's kind of out, like, sweeping the field or whatever. 
And eventually they decide, why don't we give it to Mr. Morris to keep? He can guard it, and uh, then we can just get the key from him whenever we want to use it. And then uh, Mr. Morris realizes they've got some kind of key, and then it all comes together. Turns out that key they found right next to the sprinkler system, and it's the key that opens the sprinkler system. Mr. Morris lost it, so that's why the field has been so dusty and unwatered lately. Remember when I told you that was going to be important later? It was. Well, kind of. Well, right is rain, and it, it it came back around that way. So they all feel a little silly that, you know, they thought it could be to a car or to a, the key to the city or whatever. But then... Someone just says, that was pretty stupid. <laughs> and, uh, well, that's, uh, that is one way to look at it. And finally, the end of the episode is they decide they 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 begin to kind of make up. Like Brain's like, you can have the CD back if you want, Binky. And then finally, Brain finds the ball that he lost, and they toss it back and forth. And the sprinklers come on, and yeah, that's the end of the episode. All right, let's uh, or let's rewind it back a little bit and uh, talk about DW's name game. What'd you think of that one, Lucas? I mean. It's so hard for me to be objective, I find, with some episodes that are, in my mind, like, all-time classic Arthur episodes. And this is one of those ones that I've been looking forward to since we started the podcast. Like, there's some episodes I had in mind, like, uh, when we started this podcast, that I had, like, the short list of, I can't wait to talk about these ones. Uh, And this was one of those episodes. So, I really enjoyed DW's name game. Maybe it's just nostalgia. Maybe it's just, it holds up. But, like, from the insult battle in the part that takes place in reality, the first third that's just, like, D.W. and Arthur coming up with some pretty, like, D.W. is no slouch when it comes to, like, insults, and Arthur isn't either, either like, big enormous large gopher-looking head. That's actually a pretty rude, like, thing to describe someone. So I got a huge kick out of that. Uh, and then, I mean, what is there to say about the dream sequence? like evil witch Arthur with his like Darwin Fred I it's one of those all-time moments that I associate with watching Arthur and enjoying Arthur as a kid and so I really enjoyed it it's just so creative like when we and what's the moral of the story right don't call people bad names uh what a way we complained a couple episodes ago about how uh an episode was hitting us over the head with the moral and just wasn't creative. It felt like an after-school special. This is like the complete opposite, where it's like, don't call people names, because they could melt in your <laughs> dreams, and you have this horrible Lynchian dream where you you figure out the forbidden words, and it, it melts your brother. Like, I don't know. I really enjoyed it. How about yourself? I agree. I think this is absolutely one of the best ones of season two. And it kind of took me by surprise because when I remembered what it was about, I was like, oh, okay, it's this one. Let's, well, let's, I didn't have any expectation for it. You're right. The key of this episode is its creativity. And that's a great point that you made. Like, they could have made this simple moral like any number of ways. Like if I were approaching it, it wouldn't be nearly this creative. They, you know, there's you know, a fair amount of callbacks in this whole thing. I mean, I have to give them kudos, you know, as someone who has a degree in English, they used quite a few uh, $10 words in this episode, which I was very happy about. Yeah, the uh, it's, it's just, it's fun. No matter if you're a kid or if you're an adult, there's something to enjoy in it. Like the roasting in it was really kind of taking me aback. As you said, it was, it was pretty no holds barred for a kid's show. Uh, you know, even stuff like DW doing the cold open, which is pretty creative. Uh, all of the ways in which, you know, the dream gets really wacky and kind of out there. It's it. I've been thinking recently about how a lot of the episodes in this season have been kind of in between, you know, how Arthur started out, which was a bit more grounded, which I like. I like Arthur when it's grounded. But then I know that coming up in the future, there's going to be a lot of Arthur episodes that are really out there. And I, I'm I'm really excited for Arthur to get more out there, to get more off the wall. And this is kind of, this kind of seems like uh, a vision of things to come. And I and I thought it was really yeah. really good. As much as I praised Buster's role as sort of the friend from afar, I feel like with his departure, we've kind of gotten a little bit more grounded. Uh, like he was usually the one bringing like the really crazy scenarios. So I'm interested to see that sort of vibe return. Big time. And the, and and this is kind of a, hopefully a promise of things to come. 
Uh, then we get to pretty much the polar opposite of this one. Not to say that it's uncreative necessarily, but I was baffled by how little, like there's so there's almost nothing to the notes I wrote on Finders Keepers. Uh, you know, for for uh, yeah. yeah, for DW's name game, it's like I had all kinds of things written down. I was you know making comparisons, all this kind of stuff. With Finders Keepers, I was just writing down what happened in the episode. There was a, I mean, there was a couple of uh, f- funny parts. I kind of liked, you know, Arthur's imagination of key to the city. I liked all of B- that part's definitely the highlight of the episode. I liked all of Binky's imaginations too, about how like if he got power, how conceited he would be about it. Uh, but other than that, it's like totally unremarkable. It's just kind of th- this thing happens, then this happens. There's there's little, there's not a whole lot of comparatively. It's not a whole lot of imagination. It's just kind of a straight up story told in the Arthur style, and there's not re- really a whole lot of interest going on. There's also not a lot of great character work. Like, you know what I mean? Like Arthur, Binky, and Brain don't really feel like Arthur, Binky, and Brain in this episode. Like. Brain doesn't necessarily do anything that's incredibly, like, super smart, and Binky doesn't really do anything that's very Binky-like, nor does Arthur. They're just kind of, like, uh, vessels for the moral here, and they're arguing about the key. Uh, some things I did like was <laughs> Binky's, like, trying to break into cars. Like, he's like, uh, all right, let's try some cars first. Like, his plan was to just try this key on every car in the city until he found one. It's just so ridiculous, the idea of you could find this key, you get the car. Um, but I like this episode a lot more in theory than I do in, in actuality. Like, uh, we, uh, Binky, Arthur, and Brain as a pair isn't a pair we get to see that often. Um, but they don't really do much with it. They kind of squander the opportunity of pairing those characters together. And so I just kind of find this episode just a little bit boring. Yeah, it, uh, there's really not a whole lot to it. And uh, I wasn't exactly looking forward to talking about it. It's And it's, and it's a disappointing follow-up to what was a great first half of the episode. And, you know, it's not, a, a, you know, egregious or anything like that. It's just like, mm, re- it, it's it's comparatively shallow to, uh, you know, something like DW's name game, which I which I would agree with you, I think, is in is in the top tier of what we've watched so far. I do really enjoy that Arthur Vanilla Sky key to the city sequence. <laughs> that, I, I mean, and, and not to say that it's uncreative because there are moments like that where it's like, well, that's that's uh, certainly something there. All right, so uh, kind of a tale of two stories there uh, with that episode. Uh, if you want to let us know what you thought, here's the ways to get in touch with Lucas and myself. Uh, also, I want to say, if you're thinking about sending an email next week, uh, I also want to see if you have any Arthur costumes for Halloween. Uh, if you send it to one of our social medias or the email address or the Facebook page, I'm sure we could feature them on the uh, Elwood City Limits Facebook. That's a terrific idea. You should absolutely send us your Arthur Halloween costumes if you have any. Uh, And, uh, yeah, we can feature it, as Lucas said, on our social media. But where is that social media? That would be facebook.com slash Elwood City Limits. Give us a like. On Twitter, we are at ECL Podcast. Uh, follow us over there. On Tumblr, you can follow us, elwoodcitylimits.tumblr.com. Send those emails in to elwoodcitylimits at gmail.com. And, of course, the ways that you can listen to the podcast include elwoodcitylimits.libsyn.com, where you can find all the episodes. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N. On Apple Music, we are in the podcast section, or I guess it would be Apple Podcasts, Elwood City Limits. Thank you to the recent uh, five-star review that we got over there on uh on iTunes. Keep those up, please. It helps us to uh, be featured along with... uh, So, actually, Lucas, I will say this. I was looking at our podcast section on the iTunes store, and now... So, when we first started out, you know, the algorithm didn't really know who else to recommend, like, what other podcasts to recommend, like... Oh, this is interesting. Yeah, so you're gonna like this. So, first of all, I was very pleased to see that one of the podcasts recommended is the Blimey Cow podcast, which is our friend Jordan Taylor's podcast. Makes sense. And we, uh, a fair amount of McElroy Brothers podcasts. I'm sure they show up in, like, Every single podcast in existence recommends as well, though. Yeah, but it is still pretty cool to at least be even cool. tangentially related to uh, to the McElroy brothers. So that's that's awesome. And if you would like us to uh, be featured even more, please uh, 
give us a like and a star rating. And you can also find us on the Google Play Store. If you'd like us to be featured anywhere else, just let us know. Lucas, next time that we uh, get to talking, it's going to be the last episode of Arthur Season 2. Oh my, really? Jeez, I gotta start thinking about what's my top ten. If, if that's the case, season two's kind of been a clunker. I I have three or four episodes, not to get too ahead of that conversation, I have three or four episodes that I absolutely loved, and then everything else was just kind of very middle of the road. Well, you never know. Maybe next week's episode will turn it all around. Maybe we'll end on a strong note. And uh, let's, say, let's save our, uh, uh, let's save our extended season two thoughts uh, for that special episode, I did get I did get somebody asking on Tumblr this week if uh, if we were going to do that, and we absolutely are going to have our favorite episodes of the season coming up as a special episode uh, before the end of the year. All right, so the final episode of season two, it's going to be one that I've been waiting for. It's how the cookie crumbles, followed by Sue Ellen's little sister. How the Cookie Crumbles is one that I remember very well and I cannot wait to talk about. All right, so there you have it. One more episode of Arthur Season 2, and then, well, we're going to be getting a very special return. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. I hope you have a great week. Have a have a happy, safe, and candy-filled Halloween. And enjoy yourself. Send those Arthur Halloween costumes over to us wherever you find us. Lucas, anything else? I am not a pizza head. I am a human being. For Elwood City Limits and for Lucas Mancini, this is Will Young. Happy Halloween, and we'll see you in November.